Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another great episode. Uh, when I say us, everything's been a bit flipped in this particular one because I've got my good friend Jason Titus on the phone and he is going to interview me, uh, which is a big flip, but I don't think I've really talked enough about uh, my story. And Jason is one of my best mates and I've known him for a good amount of time and he's got a fantastic podcast voice and great Great insight. So, uh, Jace, thanks so much for hosting this podcast. Thanks, Sean. No worries. It's an it's honour, privilege to, to be on. So it, um, awesome, it's, and, But it's, um, it's going to be nice to ask you a few questions and hear a bit of your story. You've had a quite a big one from, from what I understand. Yeah, most definitely. And I think, I think the thing I've, you know, done well um, during my time of having the business and stuff like with having open pantries is talking about other people's stories and especially with the podcast, which is the whole point. But, um, but as I was saying before, I think, um, I think some people will get some value out of this. So that's why I wanted to do it. So you got to give the people, to you, my friend, you got to give the people what they want and they want Sean oh, to breathe. That's what they want. I'm all, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. So fire away. The tables, away. The tables are terrible. Hey, let's, <laughs> let's start with, um, with, with a nice, easy starting point, right? Of, mm, and it's always nice mm-hmm. to hear the war story. Someone asked me my war stories today. And um, Ooh, it's, it's nice. Okay. Where, where, did, where did your hospitality career start? Where did, where did it all start? you got any good war stories for us? So my, my hospitality, um, as, you, as you know a bit, my hospitality career started uh, essentially when I, was, when I was 16 with Baker's Delight, right? And that was my first hospitality job. But before that, I was, um, I was actually wanting to be a chef. And uh, at about 15, I got my resume together and, and uh, went into a massive group interview that uh, Hyatt Hotels was doing for apprentice chefs. And uh, and then they decided not to take me because uh, because I was too young. They deemed me to be. I think um, I think that might have been a bit of a uh, a bit of a lie, <laughs> um, but a but a really nice letdown for a sort of fifteen year old. And uh, and then I was sort of just doing just doing school and and. Um, uh, there was a bake delight that was opening up sort of down the road from me, uh, from where I lived. And, uh, and I went in one day actually to, I thought, well, why don't I do a sales, you know, why don't I apply for a sales job? That'd be quite easy to do. And, uh, and I'll sort of learn how to, you know, learn, learn the sales environment and talking to customers. I'd been, I've been in sort of customer service for two or three years beforehand with a different role. And, um, Sort of thought, oh, I don't want to be a baker, so let's just do a sales job, and that's that's how it sort of came about. And um, and then I got got into a, a baker's assistant position um, just before I turned seventeen, and and uh, that's sort of that's sort of how it started, Jace, I suppose. So you went from from chef to salesperson to baker's assistant. Yeah, pretty well, pretty much. So I, I always, um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to do food from an early age. I knew that, uh, I knew that I was, um, you know, pretty, pretty okay with school and that kind of stuff. And I did okay, but not, not, you know, not anything sort of groundbreaking. And, and, uh, but I really enjoyed food and um, eating food, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> and uh, and also making food. And I really enjoyed the fact that I was able to make a product um, or make, make something that people would be really excited about. 
And and that's how I sort of got romance into the hospitality industry. And yeah, I, I suppose not not taking on that chef role was a, you know a massive blessing in hindsight. I I don't know what kind of person I would have become if I if I was a chef. I don't I don't know if that would have worked for me in hindsight. Mm. And um, um, you know, I'm sure I would have been fantastic, like pretty good, but um, but I'm not quite sure. So going into that baked assistant role with a the franchisee was a um, was an ex executive chef um, uh, with Hilton Hotels um, all throughout sort of Europe is where he did most of his trading and in Australia, um, and and he became sort of general manager in, in South Australia and and to learn off him was sort of the best of both worlds, right? I got to I got to understand what a chefing role you know could be and the sort of finer points of being a chef and that kind of stuff and that sort of flowed into being a baker and. But obviously, learned how to you know ice product and bake bread and do production schedules and and all those kind of things that come with with being a baker. So it was it was really fortunate in hindsight. Yeah. From from what I know about um, uh, the start of start of your career, I know a lot of the stuff that I've experienced from the start of my career, I still carry through to this day, and it's still conversations that I remember. It's still like just little principles. Um, yes. That we take. Tell, tell us about the relationship that you had with the uh, the owner. You, you, you've kind of listed his resume there. You speak of him with, with a lot of respect. But um, yes. who? What? What? What, uh, what was that relationship like with him? And what did you learn from him? You know, at the, at the start, it was it was a really imposing relationship. I was quite um, scared of scared of Greek and because he was such a, just a dominant player. He would tell you how it was straight up. There was no sort of, you know, um, you, you always knew where he stood. Uh, he was very, he's a very funny character. Uh, he's got a very dry sense of humor. I think that's why we get along so well. Um, but it, but it's interesting, Jace, like my, my um, girlfriend said something to me really interesting yesterday, actually. She goes, I don't, she said, I don't think you realise how, how fortunate you are to have a boss so good so early. Mm. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I certainly don't take it for granted, but, I, but then I don't really think about it too much because I don't know any different, right? So, so, I mean, our relationship was good, um, if not fantastic. I still talk to him very often now, and that's, you know, post-20 years. Uh, and the reason for that is because I've worked – extremely hard uh i listened and i wanted to learn and i wanted to really develop my skill because i was feeling as i was starting to learn more and move from baker's assistant role into a baking role into like a head baker role over the first sort of two three years that i was getting encouragement for a job that i was doing well and if i was doing the wrong thing that i'd get put up uh, put you know like told off appropriately and and then given a path to actually do better. So, you know, I was in in hindsight again. I'm very fortunate to have both Greg and Christine, Christine, Greg's wife, who really looked out for me. You know, from day one, as soon as they could see that I was really showing that I was respecting their business and wanted to learn. Yeah, well, I, w- I wish I'd hired a young Sean DeBreeze back in the day. 
<laughs> just young, we we wants to, young wants to learn. Like that's that's any any business owner. That's what yeah. you want, right? You you want someone to come yeah, into yeah, business. Yeah. You want them to respect yes. it as their own, and you want them yes. to be able to to learn and just want to be able to further their career. Um, and you give them a nice space to do it. But what would you say is probably the maybe two three biggest lessons that you ever learned from Greg? Wow. Um, look, I, I would say, you know, it's not like he's written these down for me, right? But, <laughs> but I would say uh, it's, not a, it's not on my wall or anything, but but definitely through, you know, osmosis. It's, it's you know, the harder you work, the luckier you're going to get. Um, always own up to when you've done stuff wrong. And just always respect the people you're working with um, because you don't know when you're going to need them, right? And, you know, so if I was to take, you know, three things away, then um, then that would be it. Uh, if there was a fourth, it would probably be, you know, listen to more Neil Diamond records. But I didn't, um, I didn't do that, so that was good. Um, but, um, but, no, look, I'm, I'm a very fortunate, very fortunate young man. So, yeah. And what um you you had some 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 success in, in owning your own bakeries as well. Um, what was the transition from you working as a, as a baker's assistant to you taking on mm. some bakeries of your mm. own? Like that's uh, quite a big leap. You know, it's quite a big step for for anyone to. You know, we we think of it as like oh, you know it's just a natural progression, but that that leap from. Sure. managing someone else's business to owning your own business. There's mm. so many things that you don't realize that's going on. Yeah. I suppose let's put, let's put in context. I, I, I would have joined, I joined Bakes Delight in November of 97 and Bakes Delight had about 200 and 200, 250 sites across Australia and New Zealand at that point. Mm. And so they were a growing brand right now. They're a juggernaut. There are 600, 700 sites across four countries. So um, I came in at a good time when the development of both the brand and their franchisees was really starting to, you know, the rubble was starting to hit the road. So I, I came in as a bakes assistant, as I said, at 16. I finished year 12. Um, so the next year, so fast forward a year, um, Greg offered me a position as a full-time, um, full-time baker after I finished year 12. I took him up on that. Um, I did a certificate three in small business through Bakes Delight. So when when you become a franchise partner with BDs, what happens is you get put through a four month um, a four month process to get a certificate in order to say that you can bake and you can run a shop and therefore you buy a shop. So I did that, um, but over the period of a year, um, did that. He bought uh, him and Christine bought a second Bakes Delight in that period of time in the first or second year. Uh, after I'd finished my traineeship, um, he said, do you want to go run the second shop? Um, mm. I don't think Bakes Delight, yeah, so I don't think Bakes Delight will give you a shop yet if you want to purchase one. I think you're, you know, they'd say you're a bit too young and they did say that. That was when I was 20. <laughs> so I went and ran uh, his second shop in Central Market in Adelaide for 12 months. Cool. Um, and I did everything from rosters to stock taking to ordering to um, people management to baking to 
um, to collating of invoices and all that kind of stuff. The only thing I wasn't doing at that point was profit and loss statements. I would um, catch up with Greg and Christine once a week at their place uh, and we'd talk about the business and I'd give them the invoices and that kind of stuff. Sometimes that would be a 15-minute conversation. Sometimes that would be two-hour, you know, sit-down conversation depending where the business was at. Um, and that really got me started to learn, to have a lot of, you know, a lot of mistakes during that period of time mm. um, before I bought my own. So I was extremely lucky that VD's um, Bakes the Light said, no, you can't have a bakery yet, you're too young um, in that year because that allowed me to make small mistakes and learn quickly without uh, without um, bringing a downturn to Greg and Christine's business, but but also allowing me to sort of learn on the fly and then and then have the skill in order to go into my own a year later. So and what like um, there's there's definitely people who who listen to your podcast who are looking to start up mm. uh, either a cafe or a, a hospitality mm. business. Uh, maybe sure. some of them are, are even in that age that you were in their early twenties. What kind of advice mm. would you give to them about starting up? Maybe even doesn't even matter if they're uh, what age they are. Just someone who who maybe doesn't have a lot of experience in the hospitality space. They've always romanticised about starting up a cafe, restaurants. What 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 advice would you give them? Um, there's probably there's probably two things in that, Jace. If if you're coming into hospitality and romance because you go to your local cafe and you think you know, doing a latte and doing some smash dabbo is really easy. It's not. There's a lot of behind the scenes that, that obviously people don't see and can unpack until they're in it. So I'd say if you come into wanting to buy a hospitality venue with little to no experience, then get that experience. Um, and that needs to be at least 12 months. And it, it you know, it's sort of the... The venue with the least processes and, you know, not everything shiny and new is probably the best one to learn from in that sense because you're probably going to see a lot more things that, you know, you would do better. So you'd understand it better. Um, if you're looking for development with inside a brand and you want to grow and be with that brand and not own a venue, then it's different. You need to work with a a brand that's that is shiny and it is doing the right things and it does have the systems and processes in place. It's a different story. Um, so first, I'd say if you don't have experience, then either get it or don't do it. Yeah. Um, if you're if you ask the romance, like you do have the romantic view of hospitality, you do have some coin, then you need to partner with someone who's got deep experience in the hospitality industry in order to in order to do that. Um, now, whether that be someone like me who's a consultant who can help, but more likely actually someone who, um, someone who's a chef or a head barista or someone who's got at least five years' experience in management of venues is critical. And, and because it's, it's an important thing to make consistent product, but it's a more important thing to understand how to run people. Um, and how to manage talent appropriately. So if they haven't got experience in doing that, then um, you know, then it's not it's it's pointless. And and people often move too quickly into buying venues because they think it's a great deal, um, and it will never come along. Trust me, they do all the time. Um, you just need to be patient and understand 
when the time is right. Um, and, it, and it's quite often, Jace, we've had some people, you know, come to me and come to a couple of my friends I know who sort of work in the industry as well and say, look, I've got no experience, but I've got this great idea and I've worked in finance and for 10 years and I've got this capital. And the first thing I'll say is, you know, unless you've got a great branding strategy and you've, you're set up, then I won't work with you. No. Or um, you need to get experience in the industry for 12 months and then let's – and then if you still like it after that, then come back and let's chat and I'm more than happy to help you out. So, you know, I just don't want to put people in a position that um, puts their life savings at risk. Yeah. So that's sort of where I stand on that, Chase. Well, the, the, the statistics on that is, isn't it, um, what, 90-something percent uh, closed down the first 12 months? Well, yeah, it's around it's around ninety percent the first five years, and it's around fifty percent, forty five to fifty percent the first five in the first year. Oh wow! So, so it's not that quite that. Dramatic, oh no, but yeah, it is, okay. I, I was. Getting... But it is still pretty. But it is still pretty bad, right? So, if you if 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 we're talking about a you know a full close down, or if we're talking about you know an on sale to someone because you have lost a lot of capital, you're therefore losing capital on the sale. So it's um. You know, it's not a nice experience, you know, coming from someone like myself who had to go into liquidation, um, like, it's bloody awful. So, that I, I guess that's why I'm more protective about, you know, who I work yeah. with and why. Well, um, I, I, I think it would be awesome if we could even hear that story around when you went into liquidation mm. because um, if, if that's one in two people, really, who are starting up a hospitality business, um, it's mm. going to relate to 50% of the audience. Yeah. So yeah, tell us, yeah. you, you you took over, you, you got some Baker's Delights. Tell us, Arnold, tell us um, what ended up happening on the back end for you to have to go into liquidation. Mm, so I had, um, so I bought a bakery when I was 21. So Baker's Delight came to me and said, look, we've got a portfolio of company owned bakeries that we own and we would like to sell some. And I said, fantastic. And I, after some research about which one and over many weeks of, you know, going to these sites that they have given me the intel that they wanted to let go. Um, I picked one, which was called Gillis Plains in, in northeastern suburbs of South Australia. And uh, so I bought that. I didn't have the capital capital to actually purchase it. Um, my, I had to talk about it with my parents over a couple of weeks. And, um, and they said, look, we'll lend you a capital third, which will be the amount of money the bank will need to secure the loan. And that's what happened. And at that point in time, obviously, I've been extremely grateful the whole time. Jason, you've known me a while and you know what kind of person I am. But yeah. but, but I don't think I really thought like – like I don't think the enormity of it hits me now, you know, for everything to line up for me to have a really good boss and then for uh, parents <laughs> who had done well in their career and therefore could lend me, you know, back, yeah. 100, 120, 130 grand in order to purchase you know, what was my dream. It's, yeah, it's incredible. And you were right? only so, 21, 22. 20, 21, yeah, I was 21. And um, so I guess I could definitely see my passion, right? Yeah. And, um, so I did that, uh, purchased the bakery in June, um, and we, we started, you know, um, improving the sales uh, from sort of high six grand to sort of seven grand to upwards of, you know, we're moving it to sort of eight grand, that kind of, you know, sort of sitting underneath that. 
Um, it was never a bakery that was going to do, you know, exceptional numbers. Um, I thought there was going to be growth in that centre that never was. Um, and, and it was, you know, it was a struggle for a good three to four years. You know, I was doing 80 to 100 hours a week and I don't, I don't you know, I'm not, um, I'm not lying about that. That's true. Wow. And there was a period of time where we were, you know, I was performing uh, so the business wasn't performing well at all during the summer months where I I worked for four months, three or four months with no day off. And, you know, and this was a seven-day-a-week operation. No. So, you know, that was that was like you sort of continue to rock up at midnight and one o'clock in the morning to bake bread. And you go, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm making no more. I, I was paying myself less than I was being paid as employee you know, a lot less. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, you know, what am I what doing? This all, yeah. So, yeah. And um, so I was just lucky I had a really good circle of people around me who were proud of me, you know, and, and who would keep me going and say, you can do it. You know, it's okay. And, you know, we understand what you're doing and can we help and stuff like that. So, um, and granted, I wouldn't let anyone help Jace. I was way too proud. Um, and, so we sort of reached this crescendo where we were, you know, doing okay, but it was struggling. And and I went, okay, I'm going to go against the rules of Bakes Delight, and I'm going to um, I'm going to go and pitch for wholesale business. Ooh. So I went to, I went to, I know, I know, yeah. just, no, we joke, we joke about it, right? But this, this could have lost me in my franchise. Yeah. So, so it's, you put it on the line. Fr- I put it online. It was, it's written the franchise agreement. You can't do wholesale, right? And I'm like, well. I'm literally dying here and I need to improve this business. And so I went and went to hotels and restaurants within a sort of three kilometer radius. So I sort of thought to myself, okay, if I, if I do it close, then I can, I can execute that really well and it's still local and I'm not going on any other bakery's territory and all that kind of stuff and, and that kind of stuff. So I went and literally door knocked to chefs and, and said, Hey, look, you know, this is, this is where I'm from. This is what I'm about. And, we can offer you sort of, you know, um, daily delivery seven days a week and it's all fresh every time. It's never frozen and and we can I can accommodate what you want with the bread and we can do a you know a, 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 the same price if not a better price than what you can what you're currently getting. And if you need to cancel a day before, then you can do it and we can cancel it. You know, if you have a really bad Saturday night. And you don't want bread on. You don't want the two hundred rolls on the Sunday that you asked for. You can re, you can text me or ring me at midnight that night, and I'll and we'll cancel the order for Sunday. <sighs> so I tried to add as much value as I yeah. can in that wholesale space in order to get it. And so during the sort of next two or three weeks, as I was doing those pitches, um, we sort of gained about six to seven hundred, eight hundred dollars in a good week in nice. wholesale. And that and that saved the business, right? Absolutely saved the business. So sort of six months that we were doing that before the second bakery came along um, really just, um, just you know, just made me have enough water to uh, – sorry, have enough money to put my head above water slightly. So um, so that happened. Um, then a um, franchisee who had four to five bakeries in South Australia unfortunately went bankrupt. Um, Bakes the Light took his bakeries back off him. I went and they offered me one uh, for a, a very low price in order to offload it. I took that on. I was very fortunate to take that on um, for probably a third to a quarter of its market value. Wow. 
Um, so I was very lucky at this point in time, and we'll probably develop. We'll probably talk about a bit more about this as we go along, Jace. But the relationships I was able to develop over that period of time were exceptional, and I had a really good relationship with all the state managers for South Australia, um, but especially at that time. And and you know they did me a deal which they didn't have to do, but I was very fortunate to take it on. Um, I went to my existing bank to try and refinance. They said, no, we don't like what the first one's trading at. We don't trust you on the second. I said, okay. So I went to a – I went to a – I said, okay. I went to a – okay. Right, fair enough then. Um, and I went to a – so I went to a, a broker, so a, a very good colleague of my accountant who my accountant at that time was just an exceptional character. And um, so he got me a deal with NAB. Uh, and we did a deal with NAB and they thought they couldn't understand why any other bank would turn up an offer like this. Um, so, so we did that deal. Um, I bought a second bakery and, uh, and it was going well. We were trading at sort of 10,000 a week in that second site. Uh, we oh, sort of moved great. it up to sort of, yeah, moved it up to 11 and a half to 12. And that's when, that's when bakeries at that time sort of make money. So if you're doing over 10, you're starting to make money. Right. Um, and, and that was sort of scenario. I'd had that for, I think, I think about a year, Jace. And I had broken up with my uh, broken up with my girlfriend in that period. Of time. Well, sorry, she had broken up with me. I'd not been a very well-behaved gentleman. Uh, she broke up with me. I went into a downward spiral of um, just depression and sort of self-loathing. Unfortunately, I was still working exceptionally hard, but I was also partying pretty hard as well when I could and drinking to excess over especially these two weeks leading up to what had happened next and so basically what happened is I went out drinking with um with uh, a mate of mine who used to work with me and um we went to a nightclub together or a bar together pretty much and we left in his car um and unfortunately uh, he drove the car and, and for whatever reason, we, we uh, collided with the tree uh, at pretty high speed and, um, and that just turned, um, turned my life upside down overnight. I was, I was in hospital for three weeks uh, in ICU for a week of that three, which was like I'll never forget every single day that happened. And, uh, and then it was, a, you know, it was rehab from the ground up pretty much from for the next six to seven months. So from, you know, sort of learning to walk again and, and walk properly. And then my hands were, <clears throat> my hands were very um, badly injured, uh, which is not good when you're a baker. No. And um, basically one, my right hand, my dominant hand where um, my, my actual fist and hand would move out. So my fingers wouldn't spread out. So, um, I went through hand therapy for, for a long time. So it was, it, was a, it was a case of sort of seven months before I could actually come back to work and physically bake. Um, and, and that's what happened. But during that period of time, you know, when the thing you realise pretty quickly, Jace, is, is when you're in your own business and you're working in it as well as on it, if you're not in it and you're replacing yourself with someone else that you're paying – um, you're burning a lot of money, uh, especially in low-performing businesses. 
And during that period of time, I couldn't work. I had to pay someone else to do what I would do. And, and uh, that cost us a lot of money. It cost me a lot of money, $60,000, $70,000. And um, so 12 months after the accident had actually happened, so about four or five months after I had come back to work, <clears throat> excuse me, I put the businesses into liquidation um, the months before that. Um, I'd gone to National Australia Bank. I'd tried to refinance. Uh, we, we, we refinanced it so that um, the loan was less so I was able to have more, more cash flow. Um, I talked to all of my suppliers and just told them what was going on, uh, see if I can get you know a more drawn-out uh, payment, uh, payment time to give me some more cash flow again. But it just wasn't it wasn't turning, no. and and I was sole director of this business, and and I just decided to I decided to do that, and it was awful because I knew, oh. especially the two three. Uh, at what what age, were you going to say? At sorry, what age were you at that point? What age were you when when twenty seven? Twenty seven. So you've been you've been you got the dream at twenty one. You've been busting mm. your ass for for you know, five six years. You you have the mm. accident. And then yeah. it all starts to come down. Yeah, like, and slowly, and I knew it was happening. It was like a, it was like a, it was like um, it was like a tsunami that wouldn't stop. <laughs> and and because those positive people around me that I was talking about before were so positive and wanted me to win, it was often to the point where they wouldn't understand what was happening. You know, and I knew what was happening. I saw yeah. the financials, and I knew what was going on. And like the two, three days before, and I'd made the call in my head that I was going to do it. And you know, I was the staff could just tell something was up, like as you could see it. And like, what's wrong? You're different. I'm like, oh no, no, nothing. And I couldn't tell. Like, couldn't tell them yet. Yeah. I wanted to do it appropriately and properly. And, yeah. You know, so so that's what we did. And I, I wound up the business, and we, and I, I called Bakes Delight first, and. And I was very lucky to have a, you know, Bakeslite's an amazing brand and they always will be in my eyes no matter who says anything different. And and the leadership at that point was very well connected to me and to what had happened. And um, they said, okay, well, why don't you start another business, another company name, trade the bigger bakery for six months, try and pay off um, the debt you have owing, We'll close the other bakery. We'll fire sale the product that's there, um, and so that's what we did. I rang every staff member individually, one by one, before we made that call, um, and I said, "Look, this situation. Um, you make the decision if you want to stay or go. If you decide you want to go, then." Um, then I'll find another job for you within the network. And if it's not going to be in the network, then we'll, we'll, I'll make sure that you'll get another job in two weeks. Otherwise, we'll make sure you're paid. Um, and if they want to be part of the business, then I, then I made room for them to be part of the business. Wow. And so That's I was, a I was very lucky. noble thing to do, man. Oh, look, there's many reasons why I did that. One, it's the right thing to do, and that's the only. Re- that's pretty much the most important reason for me. Two, during that period of time of seven, six, seven months, where I wasn't physically in the business, Chase, those people kept my business going. Yeah. So, yeah. like, it's the least it's the I least could have done. Yeah. Yeah. So you know we, so we did a good transition. I hope that you know everyone who worked for me at that time respects what happened and 
and feels happy about what happened. We, we made sure we paid everyone super and all that kind of stuff, which is arguably sometimes takes years for people to get paid out after their um, after liquidation or, or bankruptcy happens. So, so that's what happened. We I traded it for another for another six months, and then um, I, I did a deal with the sort of six to seven um, creditors who had personal guarantees against my name. That you know I was going to do this for six months and try and pay as much debt as I could back. And if they still wanted to bankrupt me after that period of time, then they could. Um, and NAB was obviously the big one. So I, the deal with the creditors was that no one sent me bankrupt. Um, I didn't pay. I paid about seventy to eighty percent of the debt for all, all those six to seven. Uh, I was very fortunate for that. I'm very um, yeah. humbled by that, Jace. And then NAB decided to uh, forgive me of you know a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. And uh, you know when I tell people that, most people go, you know what, what. What? I remember <laughs> when you first told me that story. I was like, yeah. what? <clears throat> yeah. And I, and I think I've told you before, like the, the thing I talk about relationships and how this all sort of comes full circle is, is when we re, when I refinance, I keep saying we like it was someone else. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the business was me, Jason, with no one else. Um, um, Look, when I refinanced with, with NAB, when I bought the second bakery, the, the lady who – the lady who was in the room training to sign off on business loans was the lady two years later who made the decision not to send me to bankruptcy. And so when I rang her, I because you know, liquidation rang her and, and, and called her and they said, okay. And I, I rang her the next day and I, I think I said, look, why? Thank you. Uh, but why did you, why did you do, what are you doing this for? And she goes, one, because it wasn't your fault. You know, you had a car accident that, that arguably you were tied up in, but, but largely it wasn't your fault, Sean. And two, you told us months before that you were in trouble and you told us before you actually put into liquidation. And most people don't do that. And I'm not going to send a person who this, this, whose fault this isn't bankrupt. Wow. And, and I was like, Shit. And that was, you know, that was the first real, I'd understood how powerful the relationships were, especially during my time after the accident. But that floored me to a point where I'm like, wow, okay, it's really important to be (laughs) honest and respectful and trustworthy and all those things, right? So, you know, I'm lucky to learn that at an early age, you know, I'm still pretty young now, but like I'm lucky at early age that I was able to do that. Yeah, that's so, huge. And able to hear that. Yeah. And massive. at this point, you're only 27. Yeah, I'm only 27 at this point. Oh, yeah. What a life. <laughs> what a life. But a valuable lesson from Greg. Respect others was was point number three that you said from Greg. And, yes. Um, man, came came through with NAB. Mostly. Yeah, <laughs> most definitely. Very fortunate. That's huge. And. Mm. After, you know, we're, we're 27, we, we've just gone into liquidation, NAB's forgiven you of a um, quarter of a million dollars and mm. now, now what? Now, now what? <laughs> yeah. So when in, um, uh, I left Australia, I, I worked in Vancouver for a short period of time again with Bakes Delight. Um, that didn't, uh, that, I had to come back for a, for a family emergency, unfortunately. I would have liked to continue my career in Vancouver. But um, but I but I came back, 
And uh, then I did a couple of jobs which I didn't like for about three or four months. Um, I was a uh, job I did like. I was actually fortunate enough to get uh, another bakery job with one of my mates in, in Bakes Delight for a couple of months. And that just, I really needed that at that point. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was fortunate again to have those relationships I did. Um, then my um, girlfriend at the time said to me, oh, why don't we look in state for jobs? So we were back in South Australia again. And, uh, and I said, sure, okay, well, let's do that. You know, might as well start afresh. And, and I eventually got, um, I got the opportunity to take three different jobs in one week out of nowhere <laughs> after about six weeks of looking. Um, one was with Coles, one was with um, a brand called Food Co. And then uh, the third one was with Grilled. And Grilled at that point, so this was um, nearly 10 years ago, Grilled at that point was only about, 10 to 12 restaurants across the country wow. and they just developed, yeah, they just developed into New South Wales at their first site. They'd um, just gone into Queensland and they were pretty prominent. You know, they're starting to get some notoriety in Melbourne. Um, you know, this is pre, you know, this early days Facebook. Yeah, ten, this is ten. pre-Instagram, you know, this is. Then you had 10 restaurants. Is, yeah. And so I sort of, I, I met the founder Simon, over you know, a three-hour chat, which has <laughs> turned to be a very deep and meaningful conversation. But but I wasn't really going into that interview thinking that I was going to take the job if they offered it to me, or 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 really thought I'd smash it. I didn't think I was going to do well in the interview because I didn't have any restaurant experience, right? And and they hired me, you know, within half an hour of me having the interview with Simon, and. So then I, you know, I said, well, they said, do you want to work in Melbourne? And I said, well, not really. My girlfriend wants to, you know, wants to go work in Brisbane, live in Brisbane. And they said, okay, well, we'll put you in Brisbane. So I went in, um, well, the only problem was there were no restaurant manager jobs up in Brisbane yet. So um, so they put me as an assistant manager uh, in, in, in two different restaurants for a period of about 12 months before I got my chance to sort of cut my teeth as a boss um, which again, in hindsight, Jace was really good because it allowed me to see probably how a restaurant ran from a kitchen perspective. Because yeah. you hadn't been in um, restaurants at all at this point. No, I'd run a cafe for three months, which okay. was not fun. <laughs> um, but I'd gone from, you know, because baking is slow, right? You sort of build up to it. It takes two, three hours from sort of scratch to, to finish in a in a, in a yeah. Quick bread, kind of fresh yeast, kind of situation, and then you know you're going to you're going to a um, a product which has to be ready in sort of five to eight minutes. So and with a lot more team. So I was just like, whoa, okay, I'm going to understand this. So I was lucky I didn't sort of get put right into a restaurant manager position. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been with Grill as long as I did. Um, I so I worked in I worked in South Bank, um, and then I got moved to Fortitude Valley. Um, and it was really tough. I did not have a good outside life at that point. I was, um, uh, and I was bringing that into work. Um, I was known as, you know, the angry manager of Grilled. Um, and that was filtering down to Melbourne and filtering down to, you know, the most important people in Melbourne. And, uh, and they would, and then there were two, two occasions where they pulled me up and I would have, hour meetings or two-hour meetings with Simon and other people within the business and they'd say, like, you know, what are you doing? 
And and I remember one conversation I had with Simon and he said, look, you've just got to open up. You know, uh, you're as close as you're as close yeah. as fuck. You've got to open up. And I slowly did. And it took me a lot to do that. And when I say open up, I mean sort of show more and personality, yeah. talk about my personal life. Because I kept work, work, and my personal life personal, right? It was it was just the way I was sort of doing things at that point. So, you know, that's what happened. I I uh, took on their first um, CBD restaurant in in Brisbane, nice in a in a spot called Eagle Street Pier, right on the river. Um, you know, fin- chief financial district, um, accountants, lawyers, architects, all that kind of stuff. Um, had a really hard go. We went. The, the brand was trying to change to sort of a three to five minute burger time um, over lunch, and that was um, that was really hard for us to do off the bat. And we were so we thought we were so prepared, but we weren't. And um, and I lost um, sixty sort of sixty to seventy percent of my staff in the first six months, and. Uh, including managers. So I lost two managers, I think, in the first <laughs> four months, right? And I'm like, is it me? I'm trying to open up. Like, what's going on? I'm trying to be fun. <laughs> Simon told me to open you know? up. People are leaking. <laughs> I know, I know. And I'm like, oh, this is a, you know, this is a this is a ship that I can't put my finger in every hole. You know, like, what's going yeah. on? And, you know? And, and it was just a case that we were just getting – we were trying to. I was trying to understand how the roster was going to work. It wasn't working properly to accommodate the volume that we were having, or the non-volume we were having at different points. Um, I was having leadership meetings with my leadership team every week, um, but I was being a dictator, and I wasn't because I was so under pressure that I was being a dictator again, and I wasn't allowing collaboration, and that just churned over the staff and it wasn't fun. Like it wasn't fun anymore. They come in, they come in for three hour shift. We, they get slammed, you know, they get abused by customers and they go home. And, you know, who wants to be put, who wants an environment like that? No one. No one. Get me out and that's, of yeah. And that, and that's what taught me so much about team culture. And look, I never got that right there. And, and the two managers who were good friends of mine, preceding me got it right a lot better than me and and turnover dictated that like they improved turnover like you know um but probably upwards of 20 30 percent and um i'm really proud of them for that they you know they showed me a lot and um but i got put on as an area manager um at that point um which is you know i was happy with that it was probably suited more of my you know i wasn't Jace, I wasn't performing badly. I just wasn't performing to my potential. And um, so the area manager job came up. I really pushed forward for that. Um, I was lucky enough to get it. Um, so I was managing sort of um, upwards of uh, eight to ten sites at that point in time. My, my state manager was doing the same. We sort of split the, split the state in half. And, and that's what I did for um, – uh, about a year, I think, year, year and a half, maybe. Um, my state manager got got let go during that time. I took over the state for a period of sort of two or three months, which was really fun but really tough. Um, had a new state manager come in. Um, we worked okay together, but certainly not great. He didn't like where I was at. Um, he moved me down to a um, 
to a restaurant manager level, but in a high-profile new restaurant uh, called Emporium. Um, and yeah, that's where it sort of that's where it sort of um, went again. So I was back in a restaurant manager position, and I became a group partner. So I bought into the business and. Um, took an equity stake in the business for a period of three years. So it's a three-year contract um, for them to keep their best and brightest, apparently, in their business. Uh, best and brightest, so that I was hopefully one of those. And, um, you must have been. Yeah, well, yeah, I was I was very fortunate. But, um, but I wasn't making any money out of it because it was a new site and it was predicted to do X and it was doing, you know, M's. Like it was not yeah, doing yeah. the numbers. And... Um, but what I decided to do was go, you know, well, we're trying as hard as we can, but I'm just going to build the best team around me. And, you know, arguably, arguably that is the best team I've built um, in any business is that team. And um, I'm very fortunate to have that sort of that sort of 18 months that I was there in that, in that particular restaurant. Um, moving on from there, I... Hold on I, a second. Hold on a second. Okay. That's a big... That's, <laughs> Yeah, that's a, yes. it's a big statement to to just oh that's a that's the best team I've ever yeah the best team I ever did yeah <laughs> and then that's, yeah. tell us though like what what to you what is in you know that that's a that's a thriving you know weren't they that they were the mm. fastest growing franchise uh, in Australia for mm. a while right so they mm. they obviously was was um. Something that uh, uh, I want to say, methodology or, or some sort of formula that you, that you focused on, or that maybe you can look back and connect the dots now. But what was the maybe the two, three things that you were just like, you know what? If I can nail this, this place mm. will be this place will, will churn out of doing M's and start, to, you know, doing X's. So, so I was able to pick most of my team, the leadership team. So that was a big positive for me um so i was fortunate to get some a couple of guys who had worked with before but we did group interviews that were very important and i made sure that we picked on culture not on skill mm. so and when i say culture i mean gut feel on that person i mean what do they like to do outside of work i mean what are they doing at uni i mean are they a positive character do they smile um all those things right simple stuff but mostly just on gut feel, do you think that person's going to be going to be right? So, and I was just doing everything, almost everything opposite that I'd done at Eagle Street. So, I we would have leadership meetings after every lunch shift for a period of time wow. for the first sort of six weeks. I would head the meeting, but I would try not to control it. Uh, so I would allow sort of 80% of the discussion to be by other people and 20% to be by me. Um, and I would just see how the guys would interact with each other on discussion points, especially ones that were quite sometimes a bit, you know, argumentative. I wanted to see how they formulated conversation and formulated problem solving and how they interacted with each other. So then I could tell who, what leaders were going to work best on shift together in order to get the best financial result for the for the business and also to get the best culture result for the whole restaurant. So I made sure I was really aware of that. So I became less tunnel vision and just more open-minded about what was going on and really took in the surroundings. And I didn't get that right all the time, right? Like, you know, I 
so during this time, Jace, I'd gone from being married and then I'm separated. And, you know, my personal life again was in the shit. And I needed that team to not only support the restaurant, but also support me at certain times. And, you know, during that time, like, I would not have liked to work with me for a couple of months. Like it would it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been hopefully too rude or anything like that, but it would have been you know pretty solemn, you know. And and for the team in order to lift me up, lift their restaurant manager up at certain points, like just shows the, the trust culture. and respect. Cute. The trust yeah, the culture yeah. and the trust and respect they have for me, but also for the brand and what they were driving for every day. You know, and and that's something that I'll never forget, and 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 never uh, will take lightly. So, uh, I suppose I just learnt from my mistakes moving into Emporium, largely. Mm. So, that's mm. I feel like that's something, and um, for people who are in the hospitality space, right, who are running businesses, what are sometimes the things that that are getting in their way? And it's kind of like you know managing the culture and and, and being a custodian of the culture. It's kind of like sitting in the corner because all these other maybe shiny objects or, or fires are happening. What are some of those yes. fires that, that you see when, when you are consulting, when you are um, in, in people's businesses and having a look behind the curtain or having a look at the back of house? Mm. What, what is getting in people's way to say, you know what, I am going to – that's not important right now, but my people are more important. So you mean like what, what are the – what are the reasons why it gets to that point? Yeah, or? just so people can say, oh, you know what? I am focusing too much on ABC and I should be, sure. um, you know, Sean saying, don't worry about that. I should be focusing more on my culture. Right, okay. So, look, you know you know the adage that a fish rots from the head? Mm. Right? So yeah. it does, always. So the problem... The problem in every food business and every food every business moving forward is always the boss. Ooh. Right? So if if the boss is not a people person in hospitality, then they should arguably not be in the business very much. They certainly shouldn't be operational because they are going to be detrimental to their business, right? And I can see if I look at if I look if I went back and looked at sales trends, oh, especially in grilled days, and I looked at the sales of the restaurant versus where my personality was, if I was able to attract my personality, I guarantee you my, if my personality was low, so was the venue. Yeah. I guarantee you. And so the owner needs to be have self-awareness to understand what the positives are, why the hell they got into the business in the first place, what they want out of the business long-term. And do they need to be in that business operationally? If um, if they are just going through a rut and they and they can get back operationally and be that happy people person and all that kind of stuff, then they can work on their team and their management to a place where those guys want to come to work every day and they want to enjoy it and they want to do the right thing by the business and they want to do the right thing by each other. So any, any business, but especially in hospitality, thrives when the people who are working together want to work for each other. Mm. You know, they don't want to work. So, so the, best, the best part of my job when I was in restaurants was when the guys 
didn't really want to work for me anymore. I was in the background. They wanted to work for each other because they were so in sync. Yeah. And that takes a long time to develop and you have to make sure that you don't slip up very much and if you do that you call out, you call yourself out for that. But that's just, that's the thing. Like when I walk into these, when I walk into venues and I look at, I look at workflow and I look at the plating of products and I look at the environment and stuff like that, you know, it's all great and it's Instagram well and their social media is on point. But if their staff aren't engaged with customers, then there's no point opening their doors. Wow. That's good. You know, That's there's really no good. point in opening doors. So, you know, when, when I looked at any business within Grilled, like I always, when I was an area manager, I always focused on the, on the restaurant manager first or the franchisee first, depending on whose business I was in. And I wanted to check in with them and see how they were personally before we talked about the business. That's big. And I learned that skill ongoing as I went on um, because, you know, first of all, I thought, oh, no, it's just about the numbers. Let's talk about the numbers and then we'll talk about you later and have a little joke, you know. Then I got to understand that I needed to think like I was in Back to the Light days and I needed to go, what would I want someone to say to me right now? Yeah. And then I'd say that. And, that, and, that, and those relationships take time, you know, and they take continuity. So... Um, you can't you can't expect those to develop quickly. You know, people are going to trust at different points in their journey with you. That's um, man. I'm, I'm even just reflecting on that. The, the people that I've worked in the past, and it's always mm. the people who have who have um, put you first as a, as a human being, as a person first. Um, yes, you, you you end up doing anything for them, right? You end up um, working more hours. You end up working harder. You end up doing all those things. Um, even mm. with clients, right? Even clients who who respect your time and, and respect you as a person first. Well, mm. you know. Um, but now you 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 had an awesome awesome career. You know, you, you had equity in, in some of the restaurants at one point in grilled. You know, but mm. what 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 now for Sean DeVries? What now for open open pantry? Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I had a career in, in Perth with Grill for a little bit of time and I decided that I didn't want to be part of the business anymore because it just wasn't it wasn't really gelling with me anymore. And I, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, Jace, sometimes make emotional calls about jobs. <laughs> and, um, and I, you know, if I go with my gut and I know it's not serving me anymore and I'm not serving the brand that I leave. And so that's what I did there and I decided I want to live and work in Melbourne nearly four years ago. Um, I was lucky enough to get a job with um, with Jimmy Grants um, for a period of time. Um, that was that was okay at that point in time, but again, it wasn't the right fit for me. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to be um, one of the main players in running a, a sourdough bakery brand in in Melbourne, which I got to learn about quality and I got to learn about consistency in product and br- proper brand and what what important things uh, are integral to a to a high level brand um you know being synonymous with culture and 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 making customers want to come back um time and time again for this you know one product that they'd always get or two products that always get um so that was an amazing learning experience for me for 12 months Uh, very fortunate in that i um I then had a friend of a friend at that point who was opening up a burger restaurant um, in Melbourne and said, do you want to help? And I was fortunate enough in my time in Grilled to, to be part of 
opening restaurants with them in some way, shape or form. Um, and I said, sure. And I sort of went, oh, I better call this some business, you know, but it made this legit, Jase. So I called it. I sort of called it Open Pantry because I thought, well, it sort of has something, you know, the name has something to do with food. And I, was, I sort of thought of myself as, you know, in a kind of weird way, as a kind of like a pantry, right? And I'd have all different ingredients and you could pick and choose different ingredients from my career yeah. and my history that you could utilize in your own business, right? And and that was the concept behind it. So, um, and then I was lucky enough to get, you know, a, a very major contract um, through a, a now very good friend of mine, Frank, and 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 launch a uh, Singaporean-based fried chicken brand into Australia for for a fifteen-month contract, and, and that was uh, that was a ride. That was a big ride, and we opened um, three restaurants in twenty-four days wow. in two cities, and that was um, you know that was the hardest time. That was the hardest month of my life. Really? In profession professionally. Yeah, professionally. Like there was just so much stress. It was just Why? Just, what know, what was what was the stress from? Just delivering <coughs> on what you said you could do? Just or? delivering delivering on what I said I'd do and making sure that you know, we've recruited a hundred staff, uh, nearly a hundred staff in a period of sort of three to four weeks and um to to get these restaurants going and, and I was just like I just can't lose any of these guys. I just don't want to lose any of these guys, you know, and you and you try hard not to reflect back on your past and go, I can't, you know, I don't want to lose any of these guys. I've lost them at Eagle Street Pier, you know, yeah. you don't want to do that. <laughs> um, and I wanted to make sure the brand, you know, got got off to the races and and it launched pretty well and, you know, they've made um, a good acquisition of Bad Mex, 50% of Bad Mex now and, and that kind of stuff and going oh. to take that through Asia. So, you know, like... I was very fortunate to get that contract, not only because it was just a great contract to, you know, pretty much start the brand with, but but also I've got a great relationship with Frank and and um, he's synonymous in food and wine culture and, and has got, you know, 20 years on me in experience and is just a gentleman of the industry and um, and he's been on a previous podcast with me. And, um, and yeah, it's just... I think Open Pantry would develop into a into you know potentially many different things, but it, but essentially, you know, um, I open restaurants or venues for people, um, um, basically from either concept stage or you know when they've got a property and they want to you know go to fit out stage, um, up to the point when they open, and then um, sometimes operationally afterwards. Um, or with existing venues, it's 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 more about you know getting the operations right, getting the recruitment right, um, you know, linking them up with good partners in marketing and, and those kind of things in order to get the holistic view of their business right for them to actually perform and continue to stay open and profitable. So that's what that's what it's about. Yeah. So so if if someone's look if someone is starting up uh, a business in the hospitality mm. space or if they're yes. looking to take their business in the hospitality space to another level, like they've been kind of you know, plateauing for the last few years and they want to just sharpen some things up, take their business to the next level and start scaling, you're the guy. Yes. Well, look, hopefully. And um, there are a lot of people, there are a lot of great consultants in the market, I'll definitely say that. And I'm very proud to be part of industry which has such great talent. But uh, I think you have to really pick and choose what, what consultant or, or brand that you work with in this space because you have to make sure they gel with you and they understand your business and uh, you know with my sort of width and depth of experience I've been lucky enough to 
know a lot of different types of service and from bakeries to quick service restaurants to cafes and, you know, high-level brands, I've been very fortunate. So that gives me a really good range of experience. But um, you really have to – it's much easier so it's much easier to tread the path with someone yeah. who's already treaded before. Yeah. And um, and that's you know that's why I started the business and I wanted more business to be profitable for longer and and that's what that's what I serve. And yeah. like with hospitality, you know, it's just saving people mistakes on, on you know they can be quite costly. Right? Yes. Starting up and then just making some wrong decisions with with either suppliers or. Mm. Um, even just like mm. just fit out, like it, it can it can be quite costly to fix it, but as well, it, it mm. it's quite costly. You only get to launch once. Um, it's a really good point. You only get to launch once, and and the first six weeks of a brand are really critical because that that'll be when people use you for the first time, and people remember the first impression, and then they usually don't give you a second chance unless you've done something right. That's blown them away in that process so i sort of think i I sort of think of you know there's a there's a honeymoon period with venues and you need to make sure that you know people still want to stay married to you you know like you need to you need to make sure that you continue on and you do the you do the things that customers need and and that is consistency in product excellence in execution and a really good environment that they they want to come back to time and time again you know a friendly face a uh, you know, a gesture that they don't get everywhere. You know, those kind of little simple things uh, are critically important. So, and if people are looking to reach out to you, if they, if they do want to contact you for some help, how do they reach you? Yeah, sure thing. So, easiest way is, is probably um, either through the website, which is openpantryconsulting.com, or you can email me at sean, S H A U N, at openpantryco.com. Um, they're probably the easiest ways to, to reach out to me. But, Jace, look, we've talked all about me, mate, but we haven't even spoke about you, and you're the best personal <laughs> coach going around, my friend. <laughs> and so where, you know, you've done such a great interview here, and I really appreciate your time doing this again with me and and, um, and talking it through. Like, you've such great questions today, and I really appreciate it. But, but how fun. do people – how do, how do people find out about you and what sort of service you can provide for people? Um, they can hit me up on my website, jasontitles.com.au, or they mm-hmm. can um, they can just reach out to me via email as well, jt at jasontitles.com.au. But uh, I've been working in the sales space for over 11 years now, uh, helping a, a lot of business owners in the service space, basically um, similar to what you're doing in the hospitality space, but just tightening up their sales process. You know, there's some very, very um, easy wins that people can can mm. get um, just to increase revenue so simply. Sometimes it doesn't have to be as hard as what they think. Um, sometimes there's a lot of little things that, um, that, that I teach my clients to do um, and you know, all of a sudden they're picking up extra sales. You know, they've got databases of uh, 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 people and just being able, being, able to utilize, being able to utilize that in the correct way. Wow. Um, to generate some more leads and um, close yeah. some some easier sales as opposed to chasing their tail and always feeling like they're on the grind. So if you are looking for some sales help, uh, definitely um, happy to have a conversation, even just a, a bit of a free consult for anyone who listens to the Open Pantry uh, podcast.
Yeah, well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I can vouch for you, mate. Like, you've helped me a lot in the last couple of years that we've we've been lucky enough to be mates. And, and um, <laughs> you know, people could just hear how humble and charismatic you are. So I think um, you, you you do anyone a great service in, in helping them in sales, mate, and, and just generally in life. So um, so I definitely, um, definitely think you should reach out to Jason. So, Jace, thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate you doing this um, hey, again with me. Thanks, and, um, Sean. Thanks for sharing the story. Yeah, man. Yourself. Hope to see you Bye. soon. <laughs> thanks so much for tuning into that session of the Open Pantry Podcast. Look, I hope you really enjoyed that. I know everything was a bit flipped, but I'd really love your feedback on it. So make sure you hit me up uh, on Instagram, Open Pantry Consulting, and make sure you reach out to Jason as well. He's an amazing character, and I really appreciate uh if you think you're in the market to, to talk to someone like Jace, he's a great person. So until next time, have a great day.